listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR. You're listening to the Breakfasters podcast for the week 30th of April to the 4th of May. Uh, this week, it was a huge week. We yeah. had uh, we started off with Geraldine telling us about a few problems she had getting into her wetsuit. Yes. Hilarity ensued. Uh, Simon Baker, the actor and director, came in to talk about his directional debut, Breath, the new Tim Winton film based on the Tim Winton novel. He was my inspiration in trying to get into my wetsuit. <laughs> He was just my inspiration for the rest of that day, full stop. Um, we also had a chat to Larissa Debeski, our regular food segment. She came by to find out what we'd all be willing to eat if it was served at a restaurant. Mm, uh, we got to chat to Christian Slattery from the Australian Conservation um, Stop Adani campaigner uh, about where the um, the state of the reef is at at the moment. And also we had a bit of a chat about how we our survival skills in the bush. Jeff uh, would set lots of traps yeah. is what we discovered. <laughs> and uh, on Friday Jeff was away and Dylan filled in um, and we had a chat about going to the gym. We did. Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone. You are listening to Breakfasters with Sarah, Jeff and Geraldine. Uh, on the weekend, uh, I was down t- uh, down at Venus Bay and um, hadn't been down there for a while, so it was nice to, to get amongst it. And um, there was uh, – on the Sunday, though, I thought about going for for a swim. Um, oh, that's game. Chilly. Yeah, Sorry, but I've got a I've got a wetsuit oh. though. So right. how much of a difference does a wetsuit make? Because oh, I, I haven't jumped in this season yet. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, uh, it's so good. So, but at first it was like I looked out and it was a bit overcast when I first got up, and I was like, oh, actually maybe I don't because I'd said the night before and said I might go for a swim tomorrow. That'd be that'd be nice getting jump in the ocean. Um, and then it was kind of a bit overcast, and I was like, no. Yeah, maybe maybe I'll just go and sit by on the beach and just think about the world for a bit. Sure, um, I love doing that. Yeah, and then There's a lot to think about. Yeah, mm. and then the clouds parted, and I went, "Oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll go for a swim. I'm going to feel good about this. I'm going to you you know you know when you set out to it, you know I'm going to I'm going to do, do this that. and you get it done. Yeah, plus you get that oh, the salt water, whatever it does to your brain, so yes. good. Yes, yes. And your skin. And your skin. And your hair. Anyway, I uh, so I got my wetsuit out and it's I, – I struggle to get into this wetsuit every time I put it on. Wetsuits are hard to get into. Yeah, but they make it look so – like you watch in the movies <laughs> and they just uh, zip it up, off they run and then they, you know, <laughs> and they finish their surfing and they just get changed by their car – and it's like it looks so, so easy. I suppose it's not a very good movie scene if they're sort of struggling to yeah. hopping around. <laughs> I, I, have to get, I have to get Kath to come in and help me get out of it. Like I'll just, just hold it and pull it so I can pull my arms out and stuff. It's difficult. Anyway, so also I have to get her to help to come to put it on. And so like I was just, you know, was putting it on and was like it's so hard. It's so tight. And I'm just like, just pull that bit there. It's fine. <laughs> anyway, 
I eventually, eventually <laughs> squeezed my way into this wetsuit and was like, oh, yeah, feeling, feeling good. Um, I'm like, but it's something, I was like, this is a bit tighter than, anyway, it's fine. It's fine. I always say, I feel like a dim sim when I've got a wet wetsuit on, you know, like there's all these, oh. like it's about to, everything's about to pop out. Oh, I feel it's like a ready superhero. Ready for the deep fight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah, I feel like a superhero. Oh, better than a dim sim. Yeah. <laughs> Well, unless you're super, unless you're it's Dim Sim man, Captain yeah. Dimmy, Captain, Captain Dimmy, Dimmy. <laughs> Steam all <fried. laughs> Uh So, anyway, so I get in the car and I take just take my bare necessities. I've got my towel. I've also got this awesome Terry toweling um, onesie. Oh, so good. Anyway, get that, and I uh, popped down to the beach. There was a few people fishing, so I went a little bit further along. Also, I've got boots as well, wetsuit boots. Oh. That changes your life. And so I had them on, and I walked past all the f- fishermen, and um, and I, you know, I was the only one there that was getting in the water. There was a couple of people that were, you know, oh. did that put you walk. off? Were you thinking maybe there's something. Not right if no, no one else No, I, I just – I knew that there would be no one down there and I I kind of wondered – Is it a safe beach to swim at? Does that worry you? Like, I don't know. You, oh, okay. <laughs> Perhaps the fact that no one else is <laughs> Are you any good at identifying rips? Yeah, well, I'm learning. Um, and I <laughs> – The Jesus. hard way. <laughs> yeah. Just by standing in the water and feeling it, it, it might – it being sucked out, you know, the water being sucked. And I'm like, oh, I think that's a rip. I might just stay here. Um, anyway, I, I, and I wasn't, was never going to go out deep or anything, so mm. I wasn't too – because I knew for safety reasons I went, don't don't get, a, you know, just get out. Don't be a hero, it. Captain Yeah, Dini. yeah, <laughs> and just try and, try and do some body surfing, did a bit of that, no good. That's fine. Got amongst it, right? And then, but the, the wetsuit was, was just, it just felt, like even driving when I was trying to, like, get my hands on the steering wheel, I'm like, this is weird. And then I eventually, I get out and I'm, I've got my towel and stuff and then I'm walking back and I just all of a sudden went, oh, I know why the wetsuit's feeling tight. I've got this on backwards. <laughs> Had my wetsuit on backwards, and it took me <laughs> so even, long to figure that out. Was it zip up the front? Yeah, you no. Or was it inside out? I, it's and kind backwards. of this one piece where you you've flickered over your head, and yeah, it does zip oh. at the front. But for some reason, I don't know why, because it's not <laughs> the first time I've worn it, and I know oh. it zips at the front, <laughs> and that's what made me go, oh. Oh, hang on. And Kath didn't notice when no, she was telling No, Kath didn't notice either. Or maybe she, she would... did notice and didn't say. No, no, no. She, she was just like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like with oh. why it was – because I was just like, it's so oh. tight on, on the back. It feels like it's choking me. Oh, it just doesn't no. feel – I'm going to say, I saw a photo you put up of yourself in that wetsuit and it, you look so obviously like it is not on the right way. Well, no, that's only after you pointed. I pointed it out, and you have to have another. Yeah, but when you look closely, you're being choked. Yeah, and it. Oh <laughs> man, the whole way I'm just like pulling at it, just going, "This is no good." And, I'm te- and then I get home, and I was like, "I've got it on backwards." <laughs> and Kath was like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense. It's like you've even got the knee pads on the." On oh the my back god. Of your knees. 
just <laughs> wish you'd walk past a group of surfers and been like, hey. <laughs> just coming out for a surf. Oh, oh. so. Did you see um, one of our listeners has texted in uh, um, a wetsuit getting on tip? Put plastic bags on your feet and hands. You slip right into your wetsuit. Do you know about this? Oh, yeah. I have, no. I have been given this tip before. It's the feet aren't the problem in getting – like a, if I covered my whole body in a plastic bag, then – Like glad wrap maybe. Yeah. But I feel like you never see the surfers doing that. You don't see that like the, the proper definitely surfers. don't see it in the movies, do you? No. no. Just put some plastic bags on my hands and I'll slip yeah. right in. I, I I've get, never seen anyone do that. <laughs> I get that, but – like getting the head, that doesn't, that's not the problem for me. It's the me. pulling it up over the body bit. Yeah. yeah, I understand that. It's pulling it up everywhere that, <laughs> that I just go, oh, God, can you please come and help me? Anyway, I'm sure it's a lot easier if I put it on the right way. Yes. <laughs> Three, triple R. You're tuned to Breakfasters here on Triple R with Jeff, Geraldine and Sarah. The new film Breath, based on the much-loved Tim Winton book, is coming to cinemas everywhere on the 3rd of May. It co-stars and is directed by Simon Baker, who is joining us now. Welcome to Triple R. Good morning. You're obviously very well known as an actor all over the world, particularly from The Mentalist and The Guardian, but this is your first time as a director. Was directing something you always wanted to do or were you lured onto the other side by this particular script? Uh... No, it was, it's always been kind of gestating in me. I think, I think, um, uh, oh, gee, I think it was probably from about 15. Um, in fact, yeah, when I was 15, I started writing a screenplay. Uh, I never finished. I think got to about page four. What 15-year-old <laughs> starts writing a screenplay? I don't know. I just sort of, I, like, I was slightly obsessed with story and I loved movies. Um I didn't get to see a lot because where I grew up, the, the local cinema was about a 45-minute drive away. Uh, but uh, And we only had two TV stations. So they would have like a Tuesday night movie, movie or, you know, there was matinees, Lord Jerry Lewis, um, Dean Martin, uh, matinees. Uh, and that was about it. But I, I, I just remember fondly sitting up late at night with my mum drinking Nescafe, <laughs> watching uh, movies on a little box, a little TV and... Um, I just like I just like the escape of it. Yeah, right. Well, as I mentioned, as well as directing, you're also playing a major role in this film as the champion surfer who mentors the two teenage boys at the heart of the movie. How difficult is it to balance directing and acting at the same time, particularly when it's your first time as a director? I mean, it seems to me, uh, the image that came to my mind was that of the you know the player coach. You simultaneously got to do your own thing, but you've also got to look after the rest of the team. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't recommend it to everyone. <laughs> it's not, uh, I've done a fair bit of it because I did, you know, I did direct a lot on TV shows, um, that I acted in. Um, also, you know, th- there's a lot of times where you, you're with the first time to direct, first time director in there and, you know, everything sort of falls apart and you pretty much got to be self-directing, you know, you got to kind of protect yourself in a way. So, no, it wasn't too bad. In this particular role, it sort of lent itself to it because, like you just explained, I was also the experienced mentor to the two young actors who that hadn't acted before. So in that case, um, there was a lot of parallels with it. 
I wanted to ask you about them because uh, the two characters, so Samson Coulter and Ben Spence, mm. the actors, they were just surfers before mm. you plucked them out of the water, so to speak. How mm. did that come about? How did you find them? Uh, just a year-long search. Yeah, right. You know, sort of sifting through hours and hours of iPhone uh, footage. Generally always recorded by mum or sister. <laughs> yeah, no, that was pretty cute and pretty evident. Like you could see so many of these kids that were so reluctant and it was their sister like, yeah, it's good, come on, keep going. <laughs> yeah, off camera, holding the, the iPhone. Is that how you found them though? Like people would just, like you, you, weren't, you didn't go out searching for actors in this role, you wanted surfers? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a lot easier to learn to act than it is to learn to surf. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we all act, really, Yeah, all the time. It's just being allowed to do it um, at will is the challenging part. And and then it's just about trying to create the environment where it's not as stiff and as, not as rigorous and s- sort of take the anxiety out of it. Um, and Show some just, vulnerability. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And both these kids are sort of interestingly have... They're both pretty empathetic human beings and I think that's necessary for those parts. And did, they're both charismatic. Did you have to kind of bond with them off screen as well? Because it's so much time yeah. with just the three of you in the surf. Yeah, I couldn't help it. I mean, I, I couldn't help but look at these kids and see myself at that age. Yeah. Um, I think they're probably a little more evolved than I was <laughs> at that age even. Yeah. Surfing's at the heart of the movie and there's some extraordinary footage of the sea and the power of the sea. How do you go about constructing those scenes, given the sort of randomness of the surf and the kitchen? I mean, is the whole crew kind of floating around waiting for a wave? <laughs> no. no, no, it's a very stripped down crew when you're on the water. It's about how you prepare and and, and really that, that helps having a knowledge and, a, and an understanding of the ocean over many years. Um, so, yeah, the main unit sort of, has a bit of a break and we go out in the water and we're we're a very small crew there's a real tight shorthand and you have to have humility you you can't you can't manhandle the ocean you can't tell it to do what you want it to do you've got to you're at its at its mercy and the liberty of w- what it presents to you so just to be flexible it's great it was great it's a great sort of muktananda exercise to be um, not in control all the time. and I think that really comes across in the film, though. Like, the ocean is... I mean, it's that cliche thing of, you know, it is another character, but it mm. it creates so much tension mm. in in this film and it's, it's, quite, a, it's quite amazing to get that across. Um, I guess, uh, you know, I, I, I just think it's quite amazing that you... That, that you got that across is that was that the, the idea behind it when you were out there mm. in the water that you wanted that that ocean to create the tension in this film? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, I think a big part of it is it, it with any film you create you create a visual language or you create a sort of a cinematic sort of style of storytelling. And the first often I think the first five minutes is introducing the audience to that style of storytelling, and. My style is uh, is really to follow the intimacy of character. Um, and for me, I love a film where you are so invested in the main character that if they, they stick a needle into their finger by accident, you feel it. Mm. So the philosophy, really the approach to it all was to put 
to follow the character into the circumstance. So if you were with the character in the water, then the water feels you're living through the experience through your main, through your protagonist. So the water feels more threatening. Mm. Um, instead of making the water uh, the star, it, it through this process becomes the threat and the danger. And is really, you know, the seascape and the landscape or... I don't really know how to <laughs> the qualify scenery. that. It's like, yeah, yeah, but yeah, the environment yeah. really is is a, is a huge character in the film. Probably the main character in the film, and these two boys are just passing through it. And I think that's a major aspect of Tim's book. Um, and I think that's a common thing that mo- like most people glom onto different parts of the book but a consistency is the inv- that the environment is a major character in it. Mm. I think your representation of surf culture is super authentic as well. It would be easy for this to be kind of overblown. Uh, what was your relationship with surfing before making the film? Well, yeah, I grew up... Th- basically, the way those kids grew up is how I grew up. Yeah, right. So it was pretty, you know, it was one of those things where it sort of chose me. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, uh, look, as a, as a surfer, a lifelong surfer you're constantly looking to see that world depicted in a way because it's mm. w- we live it every day and, and we see those glimpses that, that you get to see in the film, we take for granted. It's incredibly cinematic as a sport, like when you're out there and what you see. But the way it's always shot, it's always sort of shot with this sort of proscenium arch glossy thing and perfect waves, perfect surfers. You never feel the real messiness of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... It just made me want to surf again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah good. Well, I can't surf, but it made me. I did get in the ocean on the weekend after yeah. watching the film. You know. Yeah. Uh, we were talking to Tim Wynn a few weeks ago about his latest book, The Shepherd's Hut, and he was talking then about a crisis in Australian masculinity. This is a film very much about the relationship between uh, well, two young men and an older men. Do you think that there is a problem with masculinity in Australia? Do we need a different way to think about what it means to be a man? Oh, we just absolutely. I, I, you know, it's funny because Tim's been on tour with us with the film in in Western Australia. He spent a fair bit of time, and we've had a lot of long chats about this sort of stuff. And you know, it's, what's kind of interesting is that um, men have kind of had such an easy run of it in a way that we've gotten gotten lazy about growth and development. Um, and whereas, whereas women have had this sort of struggle and there's this constant sort of evolution of growth and development where they're addressing it and thinking about it and men just sort of sit back and go, well, everything's good, why don't we need to change? It's all going really well here. And there is this process of, of every generation outgrowing your, you know, just to speak of men, of outgrowing your father in a way. And Tim and I talked a lot about how, how you know, I'm almost 50 as, a, as an older man you can learn so much from your sons where their knowledge and their understanding surpasses yours and it's a time when you can sit there and go okay you can help me develop and yeah there is that moment in the film where pikelet outgrows sando in a way and shows him and sando kind of understands it but he has too much pride wrapped up in his own you know his narcissistic view of things that he can't actually let he says okay well you you can go and do your thing but I'm still going to be me and and don't threaten what my you know what my world is my my world view is 
But he's about to have kids, so that'll all change for him anyway. Because yeah. <laughs> it does. Um, when we were speaking to Tim too, we asked him about his books becoming films and he seemed to have this quite complex relationship with it. You know, he said it kind of, sometimes it feels a bit strange, sometimes it feels like a weird cousin of the book when you've got mm-hmm. a script, but he was very involved in this and, and he narrates, mm-hmm. the kind of is the narrator in the film as well. Uh, how did that process work? Because the script changes a little bit the end compared to the book, just yeah, slightly. Yeah, there's actually, actually, to be honest, there's a lot of sleight of hand there. There's, yeah. a, there's, a, there's a lot of sort of story structure changes in it just because, um, you know, in a book you can, you can jump forwards and backwards in time and you can, you can spend three pages describing, you know, the joys of a cup of tea with, <laughs> you know, on, a, on, a, on a back deck in an afternoon with the sun at a certain height in the sky. Um, so, yeah, we, you want more of a through line and a, a linear narrative in a sense so that it's all connected um to be satisfying as a film but particularly with this approach um actually have the rights to his next book so we've been talking about that (laughs) (laughs) and that's more of a a non-linear approach to the storytelling but that's part of the suspense of it is where you are in space and time Mm. and how things shift um and that's a well that's just another whole approach to the story but yeah tim um Tim was Tim was a champion in, through this process, and he he kind of he he let me go, and he gave me a lot of space and a lot of room to have my own sort of rite of passage with the with the story. Um, and then I'm not a big fan of voiceover in films most of the time. I think Truffaut did, did it really really well, and then Wes Anderson sort of ripped that off. <laughs> But um, and continues to, but he, but, you know, but he doesn't. He still does it. He does it really well too. Yeah. So, um, uh, I just wanted. I didn't want like that real voiceover. Voiceover. I wanted just a regular bloke, like he was sitting at the kitchen table telling a story. And Tim came to visit the set just before he started shooting for a couple of days, and we had dinner. And as he was leaving, I said, "Look, I just had this thought last night. Maybe I've got to record this voiceover." for timing stuff when I'm cutting. This is before I started, day before I started shooting. And I said, do you reckon you could just, uh, you know, just knock it knock it out like on your phone and send it down to me and we'll just use those little wave files or whatever they are, files, and um, cut to it. And he was like, oh, I can tell you I've only got two ways to do anything and actually they're both the same. And I said, well, I only need it. <laughs> I said, I only need it one way, you know. <laughs> I'm only going to use it. I'm not going to repeat it. Um, so he recorded them and sent them down. And he has a very, uh, he's a very normal voice. Mm. Yeah, I didn't realise it was him until I looked yeah, up that, afterwards. I was well, like, that's it sounds vaguely familiar, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I hate that you've told people that. <laughs> it's kind of nice when people see that. It's like, oh, that was Tim. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. Um, uh, yeah. You were just telling us before about growing up in a country town where you had to travel big distances to see films, but of course you've gone on to become a massive success in the US. Was Hollywood like you imagined it to be? I mean, if you were going back in time to your younger self, what would you tell them about um, what the American film industry is like? Oh, it's a machine. You know, it's a, it's an industry, um, and that's really the, 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 the way to look at it. And then, and then mixed up in there somewhere, there's a, a bunch of people that want to... Um, that, that want to leave a legacy and influence people's thoughts and culture and emotion. But um, the, the, the beast of what it is, is, is an industry. 
and it uh, generates a lot of income and uh, sustains an economy. Um, and, you know, that, that's what it is. Uh, to me, I didn't have any preconceived idea of what Hollywood was. I mean, to my mind, uh, when I went at 24, I think I was, at 20, no, 25 or 6, um, it was just one big fat opportunity because there wasn't a lot here at that time. Do you think growing up, like, you know, not being so exposed to Hollywood, I guess, you know, in the movies and stuff, that you kind of had that naivety going when you went in? You were like, oh, yeah, this is just a, another job? Yeah, I, I definitely thought that it was more just a like a bit of a lark or a bit of a challenge. Mm. We'll see if it, if it all, if, if it doesn't work. I, I wasn't, I wouldn't have put a, a bet on the fact that it might, turn out the way it did I just thought we'd go for a couple of months I mean you'd already won a Logie's best new talent so you could always come back here yeah I had that um, that, <laughs> that was hockey strapped to my back <laughs> and every time anyone said anything I'd just turn around and show them my Logie <laughs> the film is breath it's out everywhere on the 3rd of May we'll be talking to its co-star and director Simon Baker thanks so much for coming in thanks real pleasure you're in triple R three triple I'm hungry. I want something to eat. Something with a crunch and very sweet. That's right. It's time for food interlude. Time to welcome Larissa Dubesky. How are you going, Larissa? Hello, I'm good. Uh, I've got on the sheet here, we're going to be talking about what are you willing to eat? That's a leading question. Jeff is so yeah. excited by this. I am. I'm willing to eat quite a lot. <laughs> You're going to push the envelope out. All right. Well, so yeah, as it goes, the other night I went to Attica, which is a very as good restaurant do. here in Melbourne. As you do, I go there, you know, once a week. <laughs> I have my table reserved in the window. It's quite nice. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, hello, possums. No. Yes, I ate possum for the first time. So I can add that to my list of exotic animals that I have eaten. Was it on the menu or you just brought it along? Yeah, it was my my (laughs) dining companion actually. Uh, No, so halfway through the meal, it's like the waiter comes and gets you and says, come out to the courtyard, we've got a surprise. And you go out there, there's a barbecue with the chef, you know, cooking snags and they hand you a possum sausage in in white bread. Really? Yeah. What's it like? It's like chicken. No, not really. <laughs> it's more like, yeah, I'd probably say it's sort of rabbity, lamby almost oh. on that weird spectrum. It was good. It was tasty. I mean, Ben Shiri, of course, it's not just like a bit of possum slapped into bread. He's mm. put, he put cheddar cheese in there, pianga cheddar and oh. the onions like on top. Like a possum kransky, cheese yeah. kransky. Anyway, so I always thought the possums were um, protected and it turns out they are and Ben's just out shooting them in, in Ripley <laughs> Park. No, not really. He Apparently on Bruni Island in Tasmania, they've reached such pest proportions oh. that a guy has got a license to cull a certain number and then he thought well he was just using the skins and throwing out the carcass and then he thought well why are we doing this because it's you know it's good meat and indeed it is and you know and there are all it's made me think about these environmental factors so everybody's starting to think about meat where it comes Mm -hmm. from and I know there's this whole vegan movement and everything 
But people who are committed carnivores like myself, I think we're all starting to think about where our meat comes from and how we can do it better. Mm -hmm. And there's this great argument that eating Australian native animals is a very environmentally friendly thing because you can't actually farm them, right? They have to be out in the wild. You can't farm a kangaroo. So, you know, they have a great life until they're shot, okay? So the ending isn't great. But, um, you know, generally, and they're not producing all of the environmental flow and effects as, you know, say, farming cows Mm. and so forth. Yeah, and I guess that kind of is an answer to, you know, we talk about kangaroo culls and things which people find quite upsetting, but I guess mm. if there's a like a reason or it becomes more sustainable, yeah. then it's better well, it's, than it's just... It's a very emotional thing to yeah. be eating, a, you know, something that's on the coat of arms. Yeah. Um, and But you know what? Possum, I'm there because there's this little ringtail that hangs out on the power lines near my house. Oh. I've got yeah. my eye on him now. <laughs> I don't think you should be eating them for revenge. <laughs> but I guess yeah. these, these are presumably traditional foods for Indigenous people for thousands yes. of years, aren't they? Yes, so. absolutely. So, and we, and we are heading back in into tradition. So offal is making this big comeback. What is is offal again? Organs. So (laughs) instead of eating the flesh, you're eating kidney, liver, tongue... I don't, is the tongue an organ? Oh, I don't know. But yeah, anything really that isn't the, muscle, the flesh. Yeah, and that, that's like an. I, I remember my grandparents would have that sort of. I have offal for breakfast, like that English sort of tradition of they had like brains and tongues and stuff. And I remember as a child just being disgusted Revolted and revolted by it. it. But they just thought it was kind of normal. Yeah. And that's the thing, in the, in the olden days, I sound like my kids, in the olden days, you <laughs> ate the whole animal. So it was like you didn't let, let anything go to waste because you couldn't afford to let anything go to waste. Is there any way of making offal not taste disgusting, though? <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, I remember dad, my dad kind of was into just old school and a farmer, so that was common for him to be eating liver or kidney or whatever because he believed in using everything on the animal. But... It always, as a kid, I just remember being horrified and it tasted yeah. terrible. I think if you cook it, if you follow the Italian line, they know how to cook offal. Yeah, right. And, you know, so they're not just dishing up a big slab of liver that yeah. I personally find quite gross anyway. Yeah. But, you know, I can eat sheep's brains if they're done a la Italiana. Oh. Just they crumb them with sort of a parmesan crumb and it's quite delicious if you don't actually look at it because a brain looks very much like a brain when you're eating it. Yeah. Sorry. It's a bit Hannibal Lecter-ish. Yeah. Are there other, other, any other kind of on-trend uh, strange things that are being dished up at the moment? Well, fish butchery is becoming a really big thing. What's that? And again, it's a thing. So it's the, it's the fish equivalent of nose to tail eating. So it's basically the realisation that generally we only eat fish fillets. So 50% of that fish is being thrown into the trash when it's got plenty of really good eating on it. So there are a number of chefs who are starting to use fish offal. And so they'll be using the fish liver and the spleen. Even the fish sperm can be used. <gasps> So there's this guy in Sydney who you get the sperm. No, 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 wait. It's very good. You get the sperm and you cure it for a couple of months. And then it sort of, it it, it develops this texture texture like a scallop. And then you can actually pan fry it like that. And people won't know. Yeah, well, he likes to say he does what mackerel does he and he, he serves it? it up with the actual fish. So it's like, here's the mackerel with its sperm. I like What that. does he call it? He doesn't call it uh, fish sperm. I don't, I don't he calls it manro. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which I really oh, come like. On, come on, Sarah, what kind of setup was that? What does he call it? You knew it was going to be something like that. I know, I'm sorry. How cute is that? Would you have you eaten it. it or would you eat it? I haven't, but I'm, I'm heading up to Sydney soon and that's on my hit list. I have to do it. Oh. 
Yeah. So I'm quite are excited. you someone who will eat anything? I mean, yeah. you, really? Yeah. Is there anything that anything. you've gone? Oh, hang on a second. Like what? What's the maybe one thing that you've had? Like maybe a second's thought over. Oh, chicken feet. I have a, a problem with anything that's really cartilaginous. Mm, so, okay. you know, if I hit meat gristle, I'm just out of there. I'm, I'm a bit of a wuss in that department. Wow. But, you know, it's like I'm trying to train myself because the, the, the Cantonese have this saying that they eat everything but the oink. And, you know, it's, it's just the proper way to do it. If you're going to kill an animal, you should eat every yeah. little bit. And the Chinese actually value that cartilaginous thing. So there's this great English food writer called Fuchsia Dunlop and she, was, she wrote this book about how she realised she'd finally assimilated when she was eating those chicken feet going, mmm, chewy, because it's a real Western thing to reject anything that's yeah. really chewy like that. So it's just that a would process. Do, yeah. Imagine what that would do to our wastage problem as well if we ate more. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, but, I mean, I wonder with some of these high-end foods, are they actually, like when you're eating your possum sausage, is it actually nice or is it just a kind of novelty, you know? Oh, I, I can't see possum ever becoming this high-end meat on, on, on restaurant menus. It was there was a lot of novelty. It made me think, yeah, there's a future for possums well, um, in my or, diet. Or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I think moving beyond novelty, we have to get used to the idea of eating things like this. I mean, you know, there are predictions that the entire ocean ecosystem is going to collapse in our lifetimes and that all that will be left will, will be sandworms. So we'd better get some sandworm recipes happening oh. pretty quickly, how are you on How are you, are you on insects? They're the next big thing, yeah, apparently. I, I quite enjoy a crunchy insect. They're very high in protein and very good for you. But I got a hideous food poisoning in China once because I was trying to be a hero and I was eating all of the, I think it was a cicada or something, and I just was so ill that, yeah, I, it put me off a little bit. Oh. It wasn't the cicada's fault. It was whoever sold it to mm. me. Uh, Jeff ordered recently... Insects within lollies, weren't they? Well, that, oh, was, just ice cream. A, that was just a troll, yeah, Simon, Simon Winkler, our yeah. music director, because he's obsessed with. Um, but you had that cockroach ice cream. Well, yeah. I did have. It wasn't cockroach ice was cream. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just imagining little legs sticking yeah. out of it. That's hideous. Oh. Uh, yes, there's whole lots of frontiers that are yet to be crossed. <laughs> on the, um, thanks so much, Larissa. That's um, yeah, that's something to think about. <laughs> Poor little possum. <laughs> Three triple R. This is Breakfasters here on Triple R with Jeff Geraldine and Sarah. The Turnbull government's announced it's going to deliver what it calls the largest single environmental protection package in Australian history, supposedly to protect the Great Barrier Reef from climate change and pollution. To talk about that and the status of the Adani coal mine project, we're joined by Christian Slattery, the Stop Adani campaigner (laughs) from the Australian Conservation Foundation. Welcome to Breakfasters. Hey, nice to be here. Thanks Sorry. for having you me You must on. get that all the time. Uh, no, that's fine. All, all good. <laughs> Christian Slater. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have heard lots of different accounts of the, about the state of the Great Barrier Reef and its health or otherwise. What's the truth? Well, quite sadly, the Great Barrier Reef is, in, uh, is under real danger at the moment. And since 1985, more than half of the coral on the Great Barrier Reef has died. Um, And quite recently, we've had some significant coral bleaching events. So in the summers of 2016 and 2017, there was extensive coral bleaching, 
particularly on the northern third of the Great Barrier Reef, but also stretching further south as well. And uh, most recently, there's been a piece of research published by Professor Terry Hughes, who's a coral reef scientist from Queensland. Uh, And his research has shown that in that summer of 2016, 29% of the reefs, of the individual reefs that make up the Great Barrier Reef, experienced significant coral die-off. So the health of the Great Barrier Reef is under grave uh, is under great threat at the moment, and that's largely due to to climate pollution, uh, which which raises uh, atmospheric temperatures, but also raises ocean temperatures. So, does that mean that this uh, this proposal from the Turnbull government is good news? Well, ACF certainly welcomes this proposal. Um, but it's a proposal that spends $500 million largely improving water quality on the Great Barrier Reef. And certainly um, threats from sediment runoff uh, uh, and crown of thorns starfish are, are threats to the Great Barrier Reef. But the most significant threat to the Great Barrier Reef is climate change. Uh, and this package, um, while, while it's a welcome step in the right direction, does nothing to address Australia's spiralling climate emissions. If, if the situation is so grave, why is there reluctance from the government to kind of call a spade a spade and say, yes, the reef's in trouble? Yeah, I think, I think it goes... That's an interesting question because it really goes to the heart of... Um, climate politics in this country, which, as many of your listeners would be familiar with, um, have have been in a real topsy-turvy state for the last 10 or 15 years. I think one of the interesting things to consider is the influence of the mining and um, fossil fuel sectors in this country. The Australian Institute uh, put out a really interesting piece of research where they looked at spending by the Minerals Council of Australia, which is the peak industry lobby group for um, for the mining sector. They looked at their uh, campaign spending between the years 2005 and 2015, and that research showed that the Minerals Council has spent more than half a billion dollars lobbying our politicians um, for policies that, well, benefit benefit the mining sector. And it's obviously been tremendously effective. We've seen the rollback of uh, the carbon pricing mechanism and we see huge subsidies for fossil fuel companies. And then most recently, we've seen the Turnbull government very enthusiastic about giving a $1 billion loan to the Adani coal mine in Queensland. Okay, let's talk about that because that's the big shadow looming over any discussion of the state of the Great Barrier Reef. This proposal to build one of the largest coal mines in the world right next to it. Again, we're hearing different stories. Is the Adani mine still scheduled to go ahead or is it not? Well, Adani have had some very significant setbacks and um, largely because of the work of hundreds of thousands of people across Australia, uh, they've found it very difficult to get finance for their mine. So last year, um, our movement managed to uh, ensure that the big four Australian banks ruled out funding for Adani's mine. Um, And we've also managed to apply pressure to international financiers as well. That said, Adani are very determined to build this mine. Um, And one of the ways that they could do that, well, there are several ways they could do it, but one way that they could do it is Gautam Adani could himself personally invest in the project. We know that his wealth has more than doubled in the last 12 months. He's now worth more than $15 billion. So he could put his own money on the line to fund this project. The other way that um, this project could get up is if the Turnbull government continue with their plans to invest public money in it. And is that what the government is saying at the moment? 
Well, we know they tried to through the Northern Australia Infrastructure Facility last year. That was thankfully vetoed by the Queensland government after significant pressure from the public in Queensland during the Queensland election campaign. And now there's this fairly opaque organisation um, called the Export Finance and Insurance Corporation, which is an Australia's export credit agency. So they're responsible for investing in um, businesses in Australia involved in the export trade. And we know that they've been in conversations with Adani and they've already put some money into businesses in Adani's supply chain. So there is certainly the ability for the Turnbull government to fund this project. And we know that um, with, with people like the Resources Minister, Matthew Canavan, um, in the government, we know that there's serious intent to do so. What's Labor's position at the moment? Because they seem to have flip-flopped on this and don't commit either way. So it's a it's a good question because you've probably you probably would have seen some of the comments that Bill Shorten made during the Batman by-election. Yeah. He's person he said that he's personally opposed to the Adani mine. <laughs> personally. He's personally <laughs> opposed to it. But that's obviously not a position, a formal position of the Labor Party. Yeah. The formal position of the Labor Party is that um, they will wait and see whether it stacks up financially and environmentally. And what we're saying is it clearly doesn't stack up environmentally. You can't build a coal mine, a new thermal coal mine in Queensland in the 21st century if you want to have a healthy Great Barrier Reef. Okay, so where then is the campaign at at the moment? What actions are being planned to stop Adani? Yeah, so our campaign really this year... um, the focus is on shifting our federal parties and elevating the ambition of our federal parties to take stronger action on climate change and to take strong action against uh, Adani's coal mine. So we've got a range of activities that are planned um, where we'll be putting pressure on Labor and on the coalition to to ask them or to ask the coalition to rule out federal funding for the mine and to ask the Labor Party to. take action if they're elected as the next federal government to stop the mine. So if people want to get involved, what is the step they should take? Well, I think the best best thing you could do is um, head to the ACF website, www.acf.org.au, and join one of our local community groups. Um, we've got a, a large group, a large number of local community groups um, in uh, the inner north of Melbourne, uh, in particular, but also across Victoria, um, where you can get involved with other people in your local community and take action against this mine and take action to stand up and protect our beautiful natural environment. I'm sure this is going to be an ongoing issue. We've been talking to Christian Slattery, the Stop Adani campaigner from the Australian Conservation Foundation. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia. You're listening to Breakfasters with Sarah Jeff and Geraldine. Uh, It's not often you hear about really good stories, but here's one. This is... um, I don't know if you followed this. Um, there was a guy from, in, in, from Gippsland man, um, Sebastian, um, who was missing. He was camping with his mates. Oh, yes. He was missing for four nights, like five days and four nights. And that is, like, when you're missing for that long, it's, you yeah, can't it's have a lot good, of... it's not good, is it? And, you know, so when they set up, they'd gone camping, they'd set up camping, and then he said he was going to go and look for a better camp spot mm. and got what he said was about... A, Let's less than a kilometre away and rang them and then the phone just cut out and they didn't see or hear from him again oh, for four days. It's like a horror movie. It is. Yeah, because he'd be wondering where's, what's happened to my mates. Yeah, totally. And anyway, so he, but they, they found him. He was, uh, Did we just get disoriented or something or? 
I don't, I don't know exactly what happened. I didn't read about the results. I just read, read about the bit when he went when he went missing. But they were they were encouraged. They said that he'd probably be able to protect himself because there was like valleys to crawl in. The valley's not right, is there? But there was things you could crawl into to keep warm and Burrows. undercover. Yeah, and um, and you think you know you'd to go camping in the first place. You got to have some sort of knowledge of. Well, I don't know that's a case anymore. Well, I feel like everyone goes camping, you know. Yeah, yeah, but I think in his in his case, if if he's um, knows enough to think I could find a better campsite, maybe. Yeah. Well, also, I thought that's the reason that they gave, or was he? Did he? Did he have a fight? Yeah, you know they could. But anyway, I'm not presuming anything, <laughs> but. Um, you know, there could have been more to the story. Uh, yeah. It did remind me of the story we had in the news. Earlier this week, yeah, it was. The the truck truck driver (laughs) Jacob Cartwright, who'd been driving his truck, (laughs) GPS had given him wrong directions, and so he'd ended up in the wilds of the Appalachian Mountains, I think Oregon, somewhere, like, and down a little side street, and his truck ended off off the road. Anyway, he was lost for four days, and he didn't eat any of his chips. That was, that was great. I, I can't believe that he didn't do that. And he, didn't eat it. he said that wasn't how I was brought up. At least it was because I, I did think about that afterwards. And I thought, why wouldn't you eat them? But it might have de- dehydrated him as well. Because yeah. apparently Sebastian, who went missing, was found very dehydrated. Yeah, what's oh, he going to Maybe he did eat the chips. Do you know... Um, no, different person. Sebastian, the yeah. one we're talking about. Yeah, but maybe he had some chips that he ate and they got oh, dehydrated. And that's why okay. I got... Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Don't think um, he had any chips. <laughs> here's, here's a... Um, <laughs> Fun fact uh, about Kath. Do you know she got rescued off a mountain once oh, when really? she was yeah she'd been hiking with a mate, and uh, they hadn't got lost. The um, the track that they'd been walking on had grown over, so it had been like blocked oh. off. Um, and the problem was that they didn't have enough water. Oh. And so they were they were fine. Like they had all the equipment that they needed, but they couldn't find they couldn't get to the next place where there was a supply of water. Oh, that's scary. So mm. how did they contact the Well, apparently Kath got all MacGyver and um of she did. <laughs> Yeah. So she had to um because it was limited, um, I mean, she's going to, she'll be listening and going, this is not how it happened. But um, she had to, for some reason, to change a SIM card. I take the SIM card out of one phone and put it into another one that still had battery oh, left in it. Um, it's, oh, you've <laughs> Sorry, that was the report about <laughs> yeah, Sebastian yeah. that came up on my computer. Uh, so she'd had to, um, yeah, change, so file something down so she'd get the SIM card out of one phone, put it into the phone that did um, have battery. And then because um, she could only send text messages, she sent a text message to her brother going, can you please get in contact with Wangaratta Police? Like we're... We're in strife, and he was like, "Ha ha ha, very funny." And <laughs> see like, you later. <laughs> yeah, that kind of. So it took a couple of goes before she eventually got on to the to people, and then they were like, "Oh, you know." And she was all, you know, "This is where we are," um, and they went, "Okay, yep, we'll we'll have to come and come and get you." That'd be a scary text to get off your sister. Call Wangaratta Police. Yeah, and, I think you know, she was. She would, uh, you know, she would have written it, everything's fine. This yeah, is right. What's what's happening? And did they what come in the helicopter? And yeah, they came in a helicopter. Helicopter? Did they have to pay for the helicopter? You know, you hear those stories about having to pay for the rescuers. This is this is a prime um, example of why everyone should have ambulance, ambulance insurance. Yeah. yeah. 
so cheap and easy and, you know, she's, so she had that. So she was completely covered. See, it doesn't surprise me that she was okay because she's always struck me as very resourceful. Well, she was, was organised, yeah, organized. you know, before. And I, that's why I feel well, that... How this guy, so he, he had nothing with him. He went missing with the clothes on his back, a pair of jeans and a hoodie, but he had two mobile phones and they both lost signal. Two mobile phones? Yeah, two mobile Who phones. two mobile phones? And no one knows how he survived yet because he's been too weak to be able to tell people because he's so dehydrated. So then no one knows the, the mystery of his four-day survival. more to this story. In this story, this story um, in the Herald Sun, that everyone was at the pub celebrating, and I don't know whether that included Sebastian no, or the family. No, definitely. Still, <laughs> they said he's been too weak to explain like, how so he survived. in hospital. I think so, yeah. Oh, fair enough, because his family and stuff were all... How do you think you guys would go? I was girl god, mate. I'd be all over it. No problem. <laughs> I don't know. Dad used to, when we used to go for bushwalks, Dad would always take us to a spot and then go, all right, tell me how, how to get out of here. And obviously I would never, was never paying attention. And he, <laughs> <laughs> and, Maybe that was his point. Yeah, and he'd be like, oh, it's stuck here now. What are you going to do? Where do we go? And, um, yeah, I don't think I learned anything from him. He did used to say, oh, did you, you used to say go low for water. So, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like if you're on a hill or whatever, go low if there's a mountain. Yeah. If you go low, you can eventually get the runoff and there'll be water somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's much good advice. Yeah, that's he, very good advice. He, that's what you want, water. There you go. He yeah. used to point out the things not to eat, but I've forgotten what they were, like plants that you could eat and what you couldn't <laughs> eat. So, um, but yeah. So, no, I don't know. Maybe I'd be okay for like 24 hours. If mm. I could, Yeah. Depends, yeah. I was always obsessed with making traps. Oh, what would you be trapping? <laughs> Wildlife, animals Tea. and so forth. Yeah. Yes. How can you make a trap? No, no. Well, when I was a kid, we were always making them like, you know, out of ropes and pits that things would fall in the yeah. Yeah, yeah, All yeah. that sort of stuff. Do so you that, think you could do that though if it came crunch time? Like would, I reckon. <laughs> is that what you do? Would you? Would you the first thing I'd do is start you making tra- deadly traps. Would you trap? <laughs> That's so funny. Most people will try and find a way out, but you're like, traps. it's been 10 minutes. So, oh, well, I'm going to find something to eat. Would you trap before you tried eating the bushes around you? Yeah. I think so. I think there's like lots of animals in the Australian bush and plenty of meat on them. Yeah, but like within 24 hours of going missing, you do that and eat something raw yeah. rather well, than try and eat the stuff going, around well, you. Your daddy telling you about which bushes to eat and which ones not to eat and you didn't listen. And so we don't know now, do we? I'm not saying, well, you weren't there, so you wouldn't know. No, I'm talking about... Like, <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. I just feel like it's very drastic to go from being missing for 12 hours to trying to well, trap like we were a... talking about yeah. before, you get your possum, you know you can eat a possum. You can go without food for three days. I would go and get some water. And, and you then... can go for longer without food if you've got water. Yeah. See, there you go. Oh, you don't well, need it's... to, in the first 10 minutes, start setting your traps. Maybe after day six, then you can start... Setting traps. Setting traps. Can you remember seeing that? film about the family who whose boat got knocked over by the killer whales and then they all survived oh. on a little floating boat. Oh, they I want to see this so bad. Oh, my God. So <laughs> their yacht got knocked over by killer whales. and they Based all, on true story. But true story. And they all got stuck in one of those little, you know, dingy, dingy things, but it kind of has a roof on it, the oh, safety yeah, yeah. dingies. And the dad had to get, so they shared the water and they'd try and get rainwater would come through and then the dad got a seagull that landed on it and they all ate the seagull. I just remember that as a kid being thinking... Like grabbing his legs. Yeah. Oh. How would you ever get to the point where you'd need to grab a seagull? Wow. Yeah. Well, if you'd had well, an effective... Well, Jeff, you'd be... You're good at grabbing food. <laughs> <laughs> Ten Who needs traps? <laughs> <laughs> You're 
You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia. You are listening to Breakfasters on Triple R. Uh, I mentioned in the dinner review about an hour ago that I went to the gym last night. Sure did. Thought I'd milk that a bit more. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Let everyone know about it. <laughs> so there's some people that, you know, you might have just been waking up and hearing that, oh, Geraldine went to the gym. Yep. I went to a class. <laughs> Um, and I went with um, with two of my mates who, and they quite often like to go to the gym together. Are they gym fit? No. Okay. Well, oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> Harsh. <laughs> no, they. Oh, that's it. Sorry, they they are, but not not gym junkies type. Right. Okay. Not that kind of. They, you know, they like to, um, you know, go to the gym. But quite often they would. Um, I've got you know three mates that uh, will go to the gym. And then, like, on, especially on a Saturday morning, like, come on, let's go to the gym, we'll get this out of the way and then we'll go out for breakfast and then I will go and make them for breakfast. I, I, you know what? I think you're smart. I hate going to the gym with people. It's, so, it's such a gross, intimate time for me. Like, I just don't want to have to think about uh, talking. I, no, I've never done it. It's You've never done it, never. Never, never gone in a group. I want to get in oh. and get out. Ah. I've mean, been to the gym before I mean, yeah, occasionally, yeah. but it's like, yeah, I don't enjoy it. I don't it's enjoy weird. the time. I feel it's like kind of dudes are more likely to go together because you often mm. see them kind of standing over weights together and having a bit of a chat or at my gym you do. Yeah. yeah. Other I, dudes. I <laughs> going to the gym though and just doing your own thing, absolutely doing that on your own. Yeah. But if you're going to a class... Like I oh, went, this yeah. Is, this is, I went to a circuit training class. Good point. You don't want to do that alone. And, no. yeah, and it was – so I – my mate picked me up um, and, like I said earlier, we, I've I've been added into this Facebook chat group of people that like like to exercise together and all I, I just like, can't we just go to the park and kick the footy? Like why do we – I don't like running because they're all like, let's go for a run or go to the gym. Like I'm not into it. So yeah. I just don't mm. respond and then I got kind of roped into this this class and at first it was like um, you know, they go, oh, here, just feel, you know, you go here and you get your first class is free. I was like, okay. And I'm sorry. And because I don't have my bloody bank card, oh. it's like I can't. You know, even though they don't take any money, but they they still want your details. I'm like, oh well, can't do it. Sorry, guys. I'm just gonna, <laughs> sorry, guys. I don't have a bank card. I'm 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 just gonna take. And then before I can even write out the whole message, mate's like, it's all right. I'll fix it up. I'll sign you up. And then oh god, you know wow. you're gonna get calls for the next year about becoming a member. Yeah, whatever. I'll Bring bloody block them. No, they were fine. Anyway, I get. <laughs> <laughs> block their phone calls. <laughs> they physically block them. <laughs> so, no, uh, not coming. So anyway, I get my mate. Um, and here's the other issue that I had was going to the gym. What do you wear? Oh my god, I was about to ask you this because I don't. I've never seen you wear gym clothes. Yeah, because I don't have any active wear. Yeah, I don't have active wear, but I found some. Um, I did well once upon. I did have active wear, once and I upon had a time. And I found um, these. I, I got some skins. Oh, oh yeah. I had some skins. Mate, nice. That's yeah. pro. Good yeah. for your circulation and. So they yeah, apparently. Think so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep it tight. Uh, but I found them. But they do. They were not good. <laughs> like I. <laughs> 
like they were just they just kept on falling down. <laughs> oh my god, they roll down, don't they? From yes. the, t- the top. Oh, you know when I discovered this, I wore my skins to the first megahertz training that I went to last year, mm. and I hadn't run in them in ages. I'd been on gym machines, and as yeah. soon as I started running, I realised that they just rolled down they my rolled butt. Down. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't, so, and I, because I put them on earlier, like when I found out that I've been roped into going to the gym, I'm like, all right, I put, I've got to find, and I found these and I went, I don't know, can I get away? I'll, I'll just have a practice wear. <laughs> so, I just, <laughs> so I just, I had them on around the house and because I was just sitting down, like at my computer, it was like, you know, I was like, oh, these are all right. And then, um, so when it was time to go to the gym, like I'm, I got out of the car and we were walking to the gym with my mate and I'm like, I can't. These are falling down. I can't <laughs> wear these. <laughs> what, what, what's wrong with the, the skin manufacturers? Isn't it a pretty key thing that they should stay up when you're moving? I actually think maybe I just wear a it's size too small. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I, that afterwards. I was like, why are these not rolling down on anyone else? And I thought, oh. Yeah, it's for fit people. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, with no boulders to push it down. So... Uh, <laughs> So I just, like, I'm halfway in. And even when my mate picked me up, she goes, you look terrified. And I'm like, I am. I'm really scared so, about this whole experience. So what did you wear instead of skins? Well, um, my mate, she said, I've got another pair of, she goes, you can borrow my pants. And I'm like, oh, really? She goes, yeah, you'll absolutely, you'll fit into them fine. Um, she goes, oh, I, the only issue is that I've already worn them once. And I'm like, I don't care. Right. That's all right. That's fine. I absolutely don't care. Uh, so got her pe- which were so great. They were because they're much higher. They come up higher, so less you, they can see. I've got very high hips, if at all. <laughs> so it's good for them to to, to come up a bit more. Anyway, it, so no falling down. Well, not as much as the as the skins. Are you going to go back? <sighs> I feel like I might get roped into it again and it's – I hated it, but <laughs> – Yeah, but you could become a gym junkie. This could be a I new thing. so. You I've could write a whole comedy show about how you became a gym junkie. Yeah. Mm, that's debatable. Would you go to the gym with me? You said you don't like going to the gym yeah, with Yeah, no, people. but I thought maybe I could – maybe I could yeah. try it with you. All right. I'd like to, I'd like the idea of um, like lifting weights and having someone there going, oh, you're doing such a great job, and then we go have um, burgers afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> but also, but when I went to the gym, when I first walked in there, the guy that runs the gym is a former actor. Like I think he still acts. Like so, I walk in, it's like. Who who are you? <laughs> like you're a star. Like he's been on. Like he lived. He's just come back from Hollywood. What? I yeah. know. Like well, not a. He'd done little bits. Like he was in Hawaii Five O and stuff like that. That's, that's big. I know. It's huge. So when he walked in, a brush with fame. Yeah, I'm like, what? But like, it's his gym, and he played AFL for a little bit as well. What's his? Who is this? Jimmy. His name is. Let me Google this guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so my mate, she was, te- you know, who I went to the gym and she goes, oh, yeah, the guy that runs it, he, you know, he's had a, was like a personal trainer and stuff in LA and did some acting and stuff and so and he runs it and he's so he runs, his classes are really funny and motivating and stuff and that, he was the one that was like just sitting at the desk 
and every now and again, oh, Jesse, you're doing such a great job. Like they're really I, I feel like having positive. an, an yeah. actor as a gym instructor is a good thing. Someone who's kind of outgoing, you know, can yeah. play the role and all of that. I, when I first went to a gym and they, I don't know if they do it to everyone, but they kind of like measure you and everything when you first go in oh, and yes. see how like uh, tall you are and how much you know, yes. fat you have and all that. And the guy I had was a... um. He must have been an ex-military guy and he kept measuring me up against what you need to be to be in the military. Oh I was God. like, well, it's not really what I'm going for. That's so demeaning <laughs> as well. But it's funny. Because like, yeah, uh, yeah. I've got an, another mate who responds well to that kind of, you know, negative kind of, oh, you're a piece of shit, come on, oh keep God. going, yeah. keep going, what are you doing, you're not even trying. Like she responds really well right. to that, whereas this is the opposite and, you know, and my other mates were like, oh, yeah, we just worked so much. Like, oh, you're the best, I can't believe, oh, it's so good, it's so great. And I'm Sounds like, much better. Yeah. I think I think I might be on on that side, but I just cheat so much, and I feel like I can get away with it more. Why? Because they're, they're still encouraging been, you. Well, they've just been positive about everything. Yeah, kind <laughs> of go, positive about cheating. Yeah, no. I, I nicked off to the toilet. Good toilet break, Jess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from Three Triple R.